0: just going to give it to you right up front is going to be what, why, and how. That's kind of going to be our progression. What, why, and how. So first, the what. What are we talking about today? Let's start with a bit of context. Today's passage is found in uh, Luke's account of the gospel, chapter six, and it's what we might call Luke's version of Jesus's most famous sermon. And in Matthew's account of the gospel we call it the Sermon on the Mount and we do so because it says right at the beginning of that passage that Jesus went up on a mountainside to teach them well in Luke's account uh, some like to call it the Sermon on the Plain because it says that Jesus was already on the mountaintop with his disciples praying and he went down and stood at a level place to teach now whether that means he went down to a level plain or he just went down to a level spot still on the mountain. You know that's we don't know, but another thing to note is that Luke's version is not near as long as as Matthew's version. Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount takes up like three full chapters of his gospel, and Luke's account of this uh, this teaching just covers half a chapter. And they share a number of the same teachings. And so we don't know if Luke was giving an account of Jesus giving just a similar message, maybe a condensed message, or if he's referring to the exact same moment and teaching that Jesus was giving that Matthew recorded, but just not as much material. Because you remember that Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, where Luke was not. Luke is gathering sources, and whether it's maybe written sources or Uh, by word of mouth, and he's compiling uh, this account of the gospel. But whatever the case, the truth of Jesus' message between these two accounts is consistent, and it is truth for us. So before we read, let's pray that God would open our minds and our hearts to receive his word. God, we turn our hearts to you that your word would speak personally to us, Never in the history of our world have we been so saturated with various messages, whether it's TV, news outlets, print publications, online uh, websites, YouTube, social media, all these various apps. Lord, most of the messages we see and hear have little substance and meaning, have little credibility, and often are just devoid of real wisdom and truth. God, you are the source of truth and wisdom, and help us to desire and cherish your word that it would have its proper place in our hearts. Amen. So from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's kind of one of those passages, whenever I say the word of the Lord, it's almost like, thanks be to God. Like, oh, this one's, it's another hard one. You know, we talked about in the children's sermon, just this past week, Valentine's Day. And how quickly, you know, a week can already go by. And in elementary school, they get excited about it, right? And I remember getting excited about Valentine's Day. You get to decorate your box or your sack, and you put it up, and then you bring your valentines, and you put them in all the different boxes. And then when you get to open it, there's obviously lots of candy. I don't remember getting that much candy in my valentine's boxes, but maybe that was the case. And it's just really a fun day for the kids. And it's a sweet way in which they can participate in this just sharing act and this generous act of love. But as Christians, you know, we are very familiar with at least the topic of love. There is absolutely zero doubt that to be a disciple of Jesus involves a call to love. And I'm not going to read all these passages, but some of the most well-known examples are passages like Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he describes even in ministry, we can do lots of great things. In our life, we can do lots of incredible things, but if we do them without love, they're nothing. They're meaningless. Or John's words in his first letter, chapter 4, where it talks about God is love. It says, Beloved, since God, so, or since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Jesus, we know, sums up the law in two commands, to love God and to love your neighbors as yourself. In John's account of the gospel, in chapter 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Or maybe the most to the point for us is also in um, uh, the gospel of John, chapter 13. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another love is the defining characteristic of all followers of christ or at least you know it should be there's no question about it and intellectually we know this like that is ingrained in us i i hope that no one is surprised by that i hope nobody's sitting there going oh it's about love oh i missed that glad you told me like if that's the case find me afterwards we'll have a nice long talk we'll get some coffee but it'll be fine but no, we know this. Like we hear it. I mean, there's probably not a, a worship service that goes by where the word love is not mentioned. We know that God calls us to love. It's a part of our church vocabulary. And I really believe that most all Christians truly try to strive to love. But the issue, our our problem is we're not always very good at it. In practice, Behaving with Christ-like love can be a very difficult thing to do, especially when it's really a test for us. You know, I think we'd all agree it's it's easy to love when everything's going well. It's easy to love those who we just naturally enjoy being around. It's easy to love people who share the same values and maybe political views as we do. It's easy to love people who are easy to love. You know, when they're loving. Ah, it makes it easy to love them. It's pretty simple logic. But what Jesus calls to calls us to is something that's so much more than that. While it's easy to talk about being loving on Sunday morning, what about when you get to the office on Monday? Or when you get to your classroom or in the hallways or the locker rooms at your school? I mean, if we're honest, let's be real, sometimes it's hard even to show love to our spouse and kids. Last week, Harry preached on the passage that that, um, occurs towards the very end of the Gospel of John, where Jesus repeatedly asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter would say yes. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And it says that Peter was hurt, you know, that Jesus kept pressing this question on him. But Jesus repeatedly asked Peter that question because he wanted to get across to Peter that love, real love love christ-like love is more than just a quick surface level response it's more than just a a head knowledge thing it's more than just giving lip service the nature of of christian love of christ-like love is something that requires a real commitment real intentionality and sacrifice when jesus said love your enemies it's pretty strong language love your enemies i imagine that really got people's attention that were sitting there i imagine that when jesus said love your enemies they said wait do what now love your who and maybe kind of looking around to each other did you just did jesus just say what i think he just said because i could have sworn he just said love your enemies surely he meant love your friends Love your kids, love your spouse, love your dog, your cat, your goldfish, whatever it might be. You know, love something like that, not love your enemies. Did he really just say that? Like, Yeah, I think he said that. Well, maybe, surely he didn't mean that. You know, he's he's just saying love your enemies. But surely he means that love your enemies if they change their ways. Or love your enemies if they come around to my way of thinking. Or love your enemies if... They do something nice for me first. But Jesus did not give any ifs. In fact, Jesus elaborated on what loving your enemies might look like in practice, saying, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We know that God calls us to love, but to love our enemies, that's, that's like a whole different level. That doesn't, that doesn't connect naturally to us. That doesn't make sense in our logic And maybe even at first take, when we hear those words, or when his disciples heard those words, maybe they were absurd, possibly even offensive. If someone wrongs us, we want to strike back. We want to tear down. We want to hope for their downfall and their shame. That's what we want in our nature. You know, the world's mantra and the mantra of our our human nature is, do to others what they do to you right meaning if they are nice to you then you can be nice to them but if they are belligerent with you well then you give it right back if they punch you you sock them right back if they name call you name call if they take from you well you take it right back that's the mantra of the world that's the mantra of our human nature but Jesus doesn't say do to others what they do to you Instead, he uses what we often call the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. You know, if everyone were to live like this, it'd be easy to love, but the reality is we don't. To do to others what they do to you is just to be reactive. But when Jesus says do to others as you would have them do to you, puts the emphasis and the responsibility on us. What Jesus says is that even in the face of hostility, you continue to act toward others as you hope they would act toward you. Even when they slander you, you continue to act toward them with love and with grace because that's what you hope that they will respond with. Whether they're treating you that way or not, there's no if there. Jesus continues saying, you know, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. Meaning, if all we do is love when it's convenient for us, or when it's beneficial for us, or when it costs us nothing, we're only loving in the general sense that the world loves there's no real difference between us and anyone else. The simple truth is, or you know, just say it's simple, it's simple to say. Realize it's, it's much harder to put into pra- practice. But the truth is this, that as Christians we are called to a different kind of love. Jesus calls us to a radical love that's different. It doesn't come naturally to us, but it's a divine love. It's a godly love. It's a Christ-like love. And it's extreme. And it's not just about lip service. There's supposed to be a real difference in the lives of us who are in Christ. And so picking up on the last bit of our passage today, Jesus reemphasizes his message once again, saying in verse 35, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. All right, so remember at the start, I said we were going to go through the what, the why, and the how. So all of that was the what, what Jesus was saying, what the message is. But let's now talk about the why. Why love your enemies? Well, the, the first response is, well, because Jesus just said to. It's right there. He said it twice. So that's, that's usually a good first place to start if Jesus says it. It's good instruction. But as followers of Christ, we're always called to live with a bigger perspective, a bigger picture. To live in God's wisdom is to have a bigger perspective on this world And the first thing that that perspective gives us is for us to realize that we have to understand that we, we were enemies of God. It's a hard teaching in itself, but the great consequence of sin is the fundamental corruption of the very nature to which we were created. See, we were created and designed for communion and intimacy with God, a relationship of trust and affection, of devotion, but sin broke that relationship and led to our rebellion, making us enemies to God. We were the ones that became hostile. We have to understand that we ourselves were enemies of God, but God in his great love, that kind of love that we're talking about God and his love loved his enemies loved us even when we were hostile toward him Paul writes about this in Romans 5 it says but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us much more surely then now that we have been justified by his blood we will be saved through him from the wrath of God for while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son Much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And again, he offers a similar, um, similar words in Colossians chapter 1, saying, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We have done absolutely nothing to merit God's love. There was no ifs there on the cross. God didn't say, I will do this if you do that first. We did not earn an ounce of righteousness on our own. And we should realize that what our enemies may do to us, we essentially did to God. But through Christ, God responded with the greatest act of divine love and mercy by giving His very Son that we would be reconciled to Him, that our relationship would be restored to Him. And the cross of Christ is the symbol of God loving His enemies, you and me included. So since God loved us, even when we were His enemies, we also ought to love our enemies Because our highest and greatest purpose is to imitate the very character of God. To be God's image and likeness and to reflect his glory in the world. So if God used the cross to show his enemies love, we also ought to love our enemies. Loving our enemies is to show others the merciful character of God. It means to live not with the kingdom of this world's mindset, but with the eternal kingdom of God with that mindset in mind. All right, so let's, let's round the bases. We're, we're coming around the bases. We're heading for home. We've talked about the what. Talked a little bit about the why. Let's talk about the how. Because it's like love your enemies. Okay, I, I get that like mentally. I get why I should do that. But how do I do that? I don't know why I whispered that. But <laughs> but that's kind of like, we, we're good here, we're pretty good here, and it's like, oh, how do we even do that? It's not easy. I think the first thing, again, comes down to perspective, though. The world is what it is. It is fallen. It is broken. And it is corrupt, and it is full of fallen and broken and corrupt people. It should not surprise us that people act in hostility. Like it really shouldn't surprise us at all. It's acting by its nature. In a way, it doesn't know any better. And I'll offer this illustration. It's probably not a great illustration. It's kind of silly, but I'm going to use it anyway. When a toddler throws a fit and calls you a poopy head. (laughs) I can't believe I just said poopy head in a sermon. As a mature parent, hopefully, you do not also get upset, throw a tantrum, and say, no, you're the poopy head. <laughs> it's not how we're supposed to act as like mature parents. We don't get into exchanges like that with toddlers because we realize that they're a toddler, <laughs> right? Instead, you stay calm, and you probably say something like, well, sweetie, you know, I don't think you're a poopy head. I love you. You want to set for them... An example. You want to act for them with compassion that they see that, feel that, understand that. As parents, we set the tone and we send the message to the toddler that there's a better way to go about this. There's a better way. So when we love our enemies, we hope to send a message that there is a better way, and his name is Jesus. That's what we hope the message is. If we respond with hostility and use the word a tantrum of our own, we're only feeding the hate. So we have to consider, do we look upon the world with hate or with compassion? Do we look at others with worldly eyes or with the eyes of Christ? Do we understand that the world is full of lost and broken people? And that they need a message of love. In his book um, titled Strength to Love, Martin Luther King Jr. famously wrote, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love your enemies. My second response for how to love our enemies goes beyond just kind of perspective perspective. Loving our enemies requires us, put the responsibility on us to develop mature Christian character. Jesus ended this little section saying, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We're supposed to, to draw from God's character and make that character part of our own, to reflect the character of Jesus. You know, to do what our, our church tagline says to transform lives in christ that's that's what that is about it's about developing godly character in uh james edwards commentary on this passage in luke he wrote this the positive command to love rather than simply to refrain from doing evil causes believers to examine themselves in deep and searching ways such examination alters more than behavior It alters character itself. Uh, In our men's Bible study that meets um, Fridays at lunch, we're going through a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters. And we we still have a long way to go in the book, but there's one sentence that we've already come across that I feel is a good good summary, a good point. And so N.T. Wright uh, wrote this. The aim of the Christian life in the present time the goal to which you are meant to be aiming at once you ha- or aiming one- at once you have come to faith. The goal which is in reach even in the present life, anticipating the final life to come, is the life of fully formed, fully flourishing Christian character. Another word for developing Christian character is a word that I, I wish we'd use more. We don't use it that often is godliness. In faith we are called to pursue godliness in our lives. Paul tells Timothy, "Train yourself to be godly, for physical training has of some va- or is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come." Developing godliness should be the progression of our Christian lives what starts at baptism continues on baptism's not the goal baptism's just the starting point our life of discipleship moving toward godliness is the goal of our lives it's a transformation that happens over time it's not just a, a conversion thing that just immediately we're changed and all's different it's a progression it's a walk with the lord and it's a growing in christ and in that in that process we are transformed over time In in theology terms, we might call this process, another big churchy word, sanctification. Sanctification is the process which is initiated and empowered in us by the Holy Spirit in which we grow to reflect the nature and character of Christ, which is to reflect the image and likeness of God in which we were designed to do. So whether you call it godliness, you call it Christ-like character, you call it sanctification, however you want to describe it, we have to know that for us that doesn't just happen by chance. It doesn't just happen by osmosis, it doesn't happen by being lazy, it doesn't happen just it's something that comes naturally to us. It happens by a life that is defined by worship and discipleship both personally and in community. That's why Worship is important. That's why we emphasize discipleship and Bible study, gathering together with other believers, not just to learn more about the Bible, that's great, but to experience life together, to share experiences and wisdom and struggles together. Wrap this all up now. There is a hostile, lost, broken world out there that desperately needs to know the love of God and friends we are the ones to show it to them that's our responsibility that's our calling so remember that God loves you so love one another love others and yes love your enemies I want to end with one final extra note and this is a little bit of a sidetrack but as I was thinking about this sermon this just kind of kept coming up When we're talking about loving your enemies, I just want to note this, that when we talk about loving your enemies, what we mean is when we're facing abuse for being a follower of Jesus or setting an example for Jesus in the world. So I want to note situations of abusive relationships in homes in families and things like that whether it's marriage, whether it's between parent and child, whatever it may be, the answer to that is not turn the other cheek. The answer to that is seek help immediately. And I am promise I'm not um, suggesting this because I know about anything going on in the church, but I know that, you know, we're online now. Who knows who may be watching, who may be tuning into this service. What Jesus has in mind when he says love your enemies is between people who are unequally yoked It's setting an example for the world, meaning Christian and non-Christian who are not in some kind of committed relationship. But in a committed relationship, God's desire is that two people be in a partnership of mutual love. And if that's broken down, if abuse or violence is occurring, seek help. That is the right thing to do. So, I mention this because I know that... um, it's fairly common for um, victims who are feel like they're trapped in these abusive relationships, especially as Christians, to wonder or ask, "Why is this happening to me? Or is this some kind of test from God? Am I just supposed to endure this? Am I just supposed to love? I'm always supposed to love, 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 no matter what." And I know it's complicated, but. Whether one is the abuser or one is the abused, seek help. That, that's, that's my call. And so I wanted to uh, put this number on the screen for everyone here, everyone watching at home. If you know of something going on or if you feel something is going on, seek help. So this is uh, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE. So I wanted to offer that um, And know that there's organizations that can um, help you find a safe place. Let's pray. Lord and Savior, your word is challenging, but your word is powerful. Especially as message is radical and antithetical to our human nature, such as love your enemies. That is so hard for us and we know that we can only do that through the work of your spirit in our lives so give us a hunger for righteousness a thirst for discipleship that we would conform to Christ to live with Christlike character to be sanctified to pursue godliness in the light of this dark world confront our pride our egos and our affections and help us to love as you love and in a spirit of love we offer prayers for those in and around our congregation in need of care.